Review podcast. I'm Paul Amory, the editor of New Money Review. The Bank for International Settlements, or BIS, which is owned by 60 of the world's central banks, plays an understated but pivotal role in the global financial markets. Although it doesn't handle a large volume of financial flows itself, it has an important oversight role over the institutions that do. The BIS's views on global financial stability and the financial system's infrastructure are highly influential. So I'm delighted that Morton Beck of the BIS has agreed to give New Money Review an exclusive interview for this podcast. Morton heads up the BIS Secretariat for the Committee of Payments and Market Infrastructures. That committee oversees perhaps the most important of the policy areas covered by the BIS. How global payments are made, cleared and settled. We may take the safety of the world's payment system for granted, but if you consider that over $5 trillion a day passes through the global foreign exchange market, you can see the need for safety and certainty. But now, the payments market is changing rapidly. There are many new types of money being invented, such as cryptocurrencies, and a range of new payment technologies at our fingertips. I wanted to ask Morton how this all fits together. The Bank for International Settlement was established in in 1930 to settle reparation payments basically imposed on Germany following the the First World War. So the bank's name is derived from this original role. However, as a consequence of the Great Depression, the reparation payments were cancelled already in 1932. So since then, the BIS has focused uh, its activities on providing banking services for central banks and on providing a forum for regular meetings uh, of central bank governors and, and senior officials. And that continues today. So, In other words, from an operational point of view, the BIS only has a small role, I would say, in the global payment system. And that's primarily through its role as the, the bank of central bank. Right. However, from a payment policy point of view, sorry, uh, the BIS actually plays a key role, I would say. The, the bank holds something called the Committee on Payments and Market Infrastructures, or CPMI. Yes. And CPMI is the global standard-setting body for, for payments clearing and settlement. And it also serves as a forum for central banks, again, to analyze and monitor developments uh, in this space together. Uh, I can say a little bit about the committee. The committee is chaired by Benoit Curé, who is a member of the ECB executive board, and it has 28 member central bank. And obviously, uh, I have the pleasure of heading up the secretariat that uh, supports the committee. Okay, thank you for explaining that. Um, in, in the uh, BIS quarterly review from March 2017, you co-authored a, an article called The Quest for Speed in Payments, and you, you um, gave an overview of the the way that payments have accelerated around the, the globe since the 1980s um, at the wholesale level through the move to real-time growth settlement, and um, more recently at the, the retail level through various faster payment schemes. How far away are we from a, a global real-time uh, payment system? Well, I, I, to be honest, I think we are a fair bit away from a global real-time real uh, payment system. Uh, so while developing developments are happening in this area, they are doing so slowly. So I think some central banks are 
group of central banks are trying to interlink their individual real-time cross-settlement systems, and others are trying to offer what we call multi-currency systems. Uh, there are also some central banks that are offering access basically to banks that are located abroad and do not have a um, presence in, in their particular jurisdictions. Uh, and then finally, uh, for like a decade and a half, uh, something called CLS, which is a foreign exchange settlement system, has been operating. And, and this system connects the different uh, RTGS systems around the world and allows foreign exchange uh, transactions to be settled by something that we call payments versus payments. And this is very this is good because it eliminates something that we call a hairstart risk. So these are just some examples of uh, the individual systems uh, getting connected, but there's no global uh, system in, in the making. Right, so we're still reliant on national real-time gross settlement systems that operate across the books of central banks, in other words. Exactly. So how, um, how uh, as faster payment systems for retail payments um, expand in different countries and the, the average individual gets used to transmitting money in, in a second or two compared to having to wait a couple of days or, or more in the past, um, how well do those faster payment systems for retail users mesh or fit together with uh, the wholesale payment system which has been operating in real time for some time? So I, I think um, within um, a nation, I think they mesh really well. I, I think the issue, just as you asked about before, is when, when you look at it cross-border. So you might be able to transfer money instantly, say, in euros um, and in, or in Swiss francs, but, but it's hard to go from euros to Swiss, Swiss francs uh, in a fast way. So, so, so I think they mess well, as I said, uh, nationwide, but across borders is still the, is the missing link, so to speak. Uh, I, I guess that takes me on to a question about um, the role of new um, entities in the payment system. And um, uh, I, again, I take, look, I'm reading a quote from the BIS website um, from late last year. Um, you, you wrote that the world of payments is in a state of flux. Around the globe, novel technologies and new market entrants challenge the traditional bank-centric payment paradigms and incumbent service providers are under pressure from startups as well as big tech firms. So, I mean, that we've all recently read about plans by firms like Facebook to to get involved in, in payments and um, clearly there are a lot of uh, startups focused specifically on this. Some have, some have been very successful and have raised a lot of um, money from investors. So how, um, you know, what do you think of the rapidly growing role of non-banks in the payment system? I mean, what are the implications for the work that the BIS does? I think the, the role, from, from a personal perspective, I think the role of the non-banks that you're asking about is, is, is great. Um, being from Denmark, having lived a decade and a half in the U.S., uh, now living in Switzerland, close to the Eurozone, so on a daily basis, I basically manage four different uh, types of currencies. So, so I use some of these new uh, non-bank service providers, um, and mostly because their services are, are fast, convenient, and, and low cost. Um, and so in general, I, I think the more the merrier is, is very good when it comes to uh, competition. I would say that it's also, but it is important that, that these new entrants or non-banks 
uh, a lot better because the arbitrage rules or regulations or, or somehow are, are less safe. Um, and so, and insofar that they are introducing additional risk, uh, we need to monitor that very, very closely. Okay, so to, I mean, you mentioned the possibility of arbitrage and rules. Uh, you know, to what extent is there a risk of that? Um, you know, to what extent of you know, the opening up of payment services to non-banks maybe given an, an unfair advantage to some of the firms that are specialising in technology, you know, you, you know, usable technology for, for payments? You know, are the banks being put at a competitive disadvantage? I think it cuts both ways a little bit, but it's definitely true that that, that regulation always follows innovation, and so uh, so I think if you ask the uh, the fintechs of the world, they would say that uh, the current regulations are, are helping the incumbents, and if you ask the incumbents, they will say that the lack of regulations are helping uh, the fintechs. So. Uh, and the truth is up probably somewhere in between, and it's it's really more for for regulators and and, and supervisors to try and stay on top of, of, of new developments, so that they can apply uh, the regulations in a fair way and make sure that similar activities are, are regulated in, in similar ways. Oh, okay, I'd like to ask you about the impact of the distributed ledger technology, um, the the creation of new currencies or tokens that are not um, issued by governments or, or central banks. What uh, impact has distributed ledger technology had specifically on payments? Um, right. Um, so, so I think the, the direct impact of distributed ledger technology or DLT is so far limited. As you would know, the payment volumes of cryptocurrencies are really small, at least in the larger scheme of things. So the direct impact, I would say, is, is limited. Um, but that said, as also mentioned earlier, there's a lot of experimentation going on with DLT in this space, both by the private but also the public sector. And so, um, for example, some of the upgrades that we are seeing to existing systems can be driven by two things. Either it's a wish to be interoperable with new DLT systems or to be better equipped uh, to compete with them if and when they, they arrive. So, so there's a lot of interest in, the, in this uh, technology, if, if, if not yet uh, many practical uses of distributed ledger technology, specifically in payments. Could you repeat the question, sorry? Yeah, so the, you're saying that there's a lot of interest in the technology, but so far limited use of distributed ledger technology for specifically in, in payments. Yes. Yes, there's limited, um, uh, there's limited use of it at the moment, but, but I think, uh, as you mentioned, uh, you read uh, all the time about new initiatives in, in the newspapers, uh, Facebook, Morgan coin, all, all these things. So, so there's a lot of uh, lot of things going on in this area. Uh, so where do, where does that uh, where will that that leave the the you know, the, the traditional um, um, infrastructure with the central banks kind of operating at the at the kind of the top of the scale netting um, or operating the 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 settlement system for wholesale payments and then. 
you know, will that, uh, will, could, could, could the um, development of this new technology end up reorganizing the, the, the whole monetary infrastructure? Yeah, I, I, it potentially could. I, I think the way that I look at the DLT is that it's just one of the latest manifestation of this longer run trend that we're seeing of digitalization of payments. Um, but so far, the digitalization has mostly been around actually making uh, previous uh, paper-based processes electronic. And so I think the, the people that really believe in DLT, they, they see it as an opportunity to rethink many of these processes from scratch. So one, one of the problems with the legacy payments clearing and settlement system that we have today is that they require a lot of messages that go back and forth to confirm or make basically financial institution agree on the trade, the amounts payable, the transactions that they have, that they have done. And so you have to imagine there's a lot of these payment messages flying back and forth between the financial institutions. And so in a world of DLT, uh, where at least the promise is that everybody is seeing and writing to the same database, all this flow of uh, redundant messages could basically be, be avoided. So, so I think that's the, the big promise of, of DMT, that it could fundamentally change the way that, they, that the plumbing of the financial system works. And, and Whether that's going to happen, that's a big question. And, and what is the role in, of the BIS in, in, um, in encouraging discussion of, the, of that particular topic? Is it, is it sort of high up the agenda in your regular meetings with the central banks? You know, has it become you know, highly prominent or is still somewhere down the scale of things? No, I, I think one of the, the raison d'etre of the BIS is to help central banks think about how they can preserve monetary uh, stability. And, and part of that is to be at the forefront uh, of these discussions that are going on on how the, the monetary system is uh, changing. And so, so it's definitely something that in, in the CPMI, but also in, in other committees and, and for here at the BIS are being discussed uh, frequently and, and with great interest. Uh, and what is the what do you see as the role of the central bank in in uh, in future? In a, is it primarily to provide the infrastructure for payments, um, or are we going to see more and more central banks issuing new forms of digital currency to try and keep up with uh, the way people's practices in in payments are, are changing? In terms of what the central bank's role is in the, in the payment system, I, th I think that's one of the most important policy questions that, that central banks wrestle with. Um, I like to say that the short answer is that it depends, <laughs> and that the long, longer answer is that it depends and varies over time and also across jurisdictions. Yes. And then the economist's answer, which is of course the even longer answer, is that the, that a central bank should only get directly involved in providing payment services if there's what we call a market failure or some clear uh, public policy interest such as uh, systemic risk. Right, right. But there has been, in a number of countries, there have been some, uh, you know, a number of people have expressed concern about the disappearance of cash, that it might disadvantage certain segments of the population. Um, 
you know, even though in, in those countries like Sweden, for example, people seem you know very happy to switch to digital payment, but uh, it's, it's a fact that cash uh, payments are rapidly on the way out in many countries. Yes, and I and I, I think the the Swedish central bank or the Swiss bank is is rightly to be concerned uh, about whether cash in the future will be a viable payment instrument in, in Sweden. And, and they're really trying to think hard about whether the central bank needs to provide uh, a digital form of money that, that's available to all. Um, that comes with a lot of uh, difficult questions uh, to, to try and, and, and pick out. Uh, and, and if we could talk a little bit about the, the, the potential forms of new versions of uh, digital currency issued by central banks, uh, I know that the BIS has written on this uh, extensively and um, in one of the reports you distinguish between account-based um, digital currency, which as I understand it would be accessible only to certain types of institution, uh, or token-based central bank digital currency, which, which could in theory have a much wider circulation. What, what, do you, what, what, do you, what are the pros and cons of those different models? Right. Uh, so I think I think we basically distinguish between four different kinds: uh, those that are accessible to all, and those that are only accessible to a subset of, say, financial institutions. So, so that's the difference between what we call general purpose; those are the ones that are available to all, and then wholesale. And then, and then. It can be based on, on two different types of technologies, as you mentioned. It can be based on accounts, which is the technology that we that we know better, or it could be based on, on these new tokens, which would uh, where DLT is uh, is one example. Um, so if we focus on the one that, that that are the one that are available to all, like or for retail purposes, so basically an electronic replacement of cash. Um, I think it's too soon to say how such a thing w would look like, but a key feature is like, a key decision for central banks, if and when they are to introduce something like that, is to think about what are the key features of cash that you would replicate in an electronic version. And here, I think, is particularly the, the degree of anonymity of the transaction that looms large. Mm. Right? So if you pay with cash, it's it's a very, very anonymous and very private form of payment. I give you a uh, hundred Swiss francs, and there's no record of that payment being made, and and nobody can afterwards actually see what the transaction uh, was used to to pay for. Uh, so that, of course, has a a lot of downside. A lot of people argue that the cash. Uh, um, supporting criminal or other types of uh, not so good activities. Other people argue that it's definitely not the role of either the central bank or the government to know all the payments that, that you and I are making because that basically tells you uh, a whole lot about the, the person that that is making transactions. Um, so I think I think those are kind of like one of the key, those are the key issues to try and figure out what are the properties of cash that you would like to uh, preserve. Okay. And I, and I think, sorry. Please carry on. I, I think, I think, I, but I think, uh, I don't think it's going to be either or. I think even when central banks issues such central bank digital currency, 
there's going to be a trade-off between anonymity and and, uh, and privacy and figuring out uh, what is the right right level. So basically, some transactions in some states of the world might be anonymous, but not in all states of the world. If you have a court order or something like that, you might be able to see uh, the transaction. Okay. Um, and what is the role of the state in ensuring trust in payment services? Well, that's another big, big question. Um, I like to say that, that payments are, are really about moving money, and money is about trust. And the only thing that's backing money today is either the sovereign or the state. And if there's no trust in the state, then there can be no trust in money. And Venezuela is a recent example of what happens to money is when trust disappears in the state, it, it nearly becomes worthless, basically. So in some sense, you can have the greatest payment system in the world ever built, but if there's no trust in the money, then it's all uh, a bit pointless. But if money is trusted, then the role of the state is to make sure that the transfer mechanism, i.e. the payment system, uh, is also trusted. And here the state has, uh, I think, multiple roles. One is consumer protection. Uh, another one is to protect against uh, any mon money laundering. Um, and, and in that uh, area, of course, central banks have been given general oversight responsibilities uh, to protect, uh, you know, ensure proper risk management and, and how do you treat float in these systems and also um, how do you ensure um, cyber and other forms of operational uh, resilience? Okay. Um, and I um, interviewed for the site last year uh, Dave Birch, who's a technologist and, and payments uh, expert, and his vision of the future is that we will all be carrying around, probably on a mobile phone-based wallet, hundreds or even thousands of different um, currency units or tokens, including electronic versions of the euro, the dollar, yen, pound, uh, whatever, uh, plus maybe some cryptocurrencies and even some some um, uh, you know, award tokens that we can uh, at certain places uh, cash in and, uh, and spend. Uh, so there's a kind of a, a, a coexistence of um, private forms of money and, uh, and central bank or state-issued um, Currency. You know, what, do, what do you think of that future? Do you think that those private? We're going to be living in a future with, you know, many, many more types of money um, that we can handle, and are those private um, uh, forms of money going to be complements to what we already have, or in some sense even substitutes? Um, that's a good question. Um, let me try and break it down a little bit. I think. Um, I think there's, there's going to be some degree of complementarity and also substitute. Um, but well, if, if you think, if you look at currencies today, one of their key elements is that they serve as a unit of account. And a currency is, is usually connected with a, either a nation state or, or, or some area. Um, area of, 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 of nations and so if everything becomes global then I think you will see uh, fewer currencies or fewer forms of, of money but on the other hand as you're saying technology is probably enabling us to manage uh, um, all types of uh, currencies at, at the same time so, so I think it's a, it's a 
bit unclear which version of, of the future that we'll see, but I do think we will continue to see this coexistence between private and, and public forms of money. And what can the uh, the official sector learn from the success of um, uh, apps, uh, payment apps like uh, Alipay or WeChat in China, uh, or, or a slightly different model, M-Pesa in Kenya, which is mobile phone-based money? They've, they've, those uh, particular types of payment technology have proved very successful. Are there any lessons for the official sector? So, um, yeah, I think there's at least two I can think of right off the bat. One is that, that the private sector is actually pretty good at innovating. And, and the other one is the one that I mentioned before, is that somehow regulation always follows innovation. And I think you can, uh, uh, I think that's also been the case in, in some of the examples that, that, that you mentioned. So again, coming back to one of the things that I mentioned before, I think it's really uh, important for the official sector to keep up with the technological uh, developments and mo monitor and understand these new uh, systems. Um, and it's particularly so if these systems are, are holding funds um, on behalf of customers, then that needs to be uh, uh, protected or, or that these accounts are safe. That's a very important thing. Um, and also that um, uh, if these platforms that you mentioned, insofar that they move into other types of financial services, in particular lending, then I think it's pretty clear that the further regulation or supervision is needed. Okay, um, and the, the developments we've been discussing, what are the, um, there's obviously a, a great deal of change happening in payments, uh, in money generally, in the financial sector as a whole. Um, what are the implications of the changes in payments technology for some of these broader questions that you've already mentioned, like identity, uh, the traceability of money, privacy, you know, is this going to be a you know, huge debate that we're just entering into? Are we... Uh, you know, we, uh, where do you think it might be heading? Yeah, no, very good question. Uh, let me try and just just take a step a little bit back, but just say, for example, um, a colleague of mine, Taylor Rice, and some co-authors in a, in a forthcoming uh, so-called Geneva report about the future of financial intermediation. In that report, they asked uh, the forthcoming report actually they asked big banks what financial products and services are the most are likely to be most are most affected by technological change at the moment and, and five years out. And they also ask which area is seeing the, the greatest uh, competition. And I think the interesting thing is that for all three questions, the top answer for these three questions was payments, payments, and payments. Right. And so as uh, central bank government governor told me recently, payments are the new cool. Yeah. So <laughs> we're basically seeing a massive change. And to be honest, uh, I have no insight into what the, the new um, the steady state is going to be. You might say that innovations have always changed the way we pay and then ask what is different this time. Um, and I think what is different this time uh, compared to the previous burst of uh, innovation in, in, in the fields of payments is really that people are trying to innovate on both elements of what we call the monetary systems. So that's money, the settlement assets, but also the way that we are transferring uh, money. So 
so both both elements are being innovated uh, at the same time, and I think that's new. I don't think we've necessarily seen that that before, and so. While it's always uncertain about how uh, innovation is going to be play out, I think you can make the argument that it's even more uncertain uh, at this stage. And so it's really hard to say what, what the implications are on, on the things that you mentioned, such as uh, financial intermediation and stability and so on and so forth. But, but, uh, but it's going to be very Yeah. I mean, is it, is it possible to say that cha changes in payments technology are influencing the way we think about money itself? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I, I think I think um, uh, um, even though the the, the BIS and me also, like we we're not very fond of uh, Bitcoin. Uh, the general our general manager uh, referred to it as a combination of um, a popular Ponzi scheme and an environmental disaster. I do think that it it has challenged the, in some ways uh, parts of the, the the current paradigm and and. And, and and challenge this notion of what you mentioned in the beginning uh, about this very bank-based uh, uh, payment system. So, so so all all elements are potentially changing at the moment. So so what's this space in some way? Every, everything's going to be in flux for some time by the sound of it. Yeah, but but I think uh, one of the good thing is that I think it's really. The consumer experience that is uh, driving a lot of, uh, of these things. So I think that's uh, it's good for everyone. But then it's it's for for the official sector and private sector stakeholder to make sure that the that the underlying plumbing uh, still works, is resilient, and, and doesn't create any risks.